The name of the message this morning is entitled, No King Like Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, where we look at this great story known as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago. And it's in this passage in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, that we see the king has finally come to be crowned Lord of all. As I said in the beginning, if you are a parent and haven't had the opportunity to download the student and children's guide, I would invite you to do that now so your children and your students can follow along in this message this morning, maybe even helping them find where Matthew is in the Bible so that we can all read together and engage God's word together as the people of God. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill... What was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And this is the end of the reading of God's word. And on this Palm Sunday, the grass withers. And the flower surely fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. We are all certainly living in a counterintuitive time. Nothing, nothing, as we knew it a few weeks ago, is as it is today. Everything is counterintuitive. Everything has been adjusted. Everything in some way, shape, or form has been turned upside down. We are certainly all living in a counterintuitive time. Everything is not the way it used to be. Well, 2,000 years ago, particularly in the story that we just read in Matthew chapter 21, it is the entrance and the arrival of the counterintuitive king. Now, you have to understand that the people of God for thousands of years had been waiting the arrival of the king. They had been waiting the arrival of the son of David, the messianic king who had come to free the people of God. But what we read in Matthew 21 is nothing like they expected. You see, the Jesus that arrives as king on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago is the counterintuitive 
king that comes into the world. The king they had been longing for, but not the king that they had expected. You see, this morning, I want you to understand and see, maybe for the very first time, that this counterintuitive king that arrives on Palm Sunday is a king unlike any other. It is true that there is no king like King Jesus. Let's learn about this king this morning. The first thing that I want you to understand about this counterintuitive king is that he comes to rule over all. Jesus is the king who comes to rule over all. One of the things that I want you to see in this passage, that Jesus is in complete control. Make no mistake about it, that Jesus is ruler over all and Lord over all, and he is in complete control here in Matthew chapter 21. The way that you see this is in verses 2 and 3 of Matthew chapter 21. He goes in and he instructs his disciples to do what? Get the donkey and get the colt. You see, what Jesus is doing here, don't miss this, is he is orchestrating his arrival behind the scenes. He is in complete control of the situation. He is planning his party and orchestrating and planning his parade into Jerusalem. You see, this is not what happens on Palm Sunday. Jesus does not ride in quietly. And he does not ride into the city gates of Jerusalem and see the people waving palm branches and go, oh, you guys shouldn't have. I mean, I'm so surprised by the, by the hosannas and the praises. I mean, oh, shucks, guys. I mean, I, I can't believe you did this for me. No, Jesus, even behind the scenes, is orchestrating every detail because he knows this is finally the time where he comes in as the Lord of all. You see, up until, up until this point, Jesus has been very understated about who he is. Every miracle he performs, he tells people to stay quiet about it. When people praise him as the messianic king, he, he tells them to be quiet. He wants to be very understated and under the radar, but not now. You see, what happens on this Palm Sunday is Jesus says, now is the time. Get the animals, prepare the people, the party's ready to begin. We're going to have a parade unlike any other. You see what Jesus is doing here? He is provoking the crowds to do two things. On the one hand, he wants them to either crown him, or on the other hand, he wants them to crucify him. But what Jesus will not tolerate from here on out is to simply allow him to be recognized as a good person or as a good teacher. You see, Jesus is orchestrating all of this behind the scenes. Get the donkey and get the colt. He is in complete control of his arrival into Jerusalem because he is making the announcement that now is the time for people to either crown me or crucify me. Now is the time where people will either recognize me as the Lord of all or the one who has come to be nothing at all. But I will not allow the people to simply tolerate me any longer. And it works, doesn't it? It works. He provokes the people. It even says in the passage that the people were stirred up in verse 10. He gets the whole crowd stirred up so that people are shouting loud hosannas. 
Later in this passage, a verse that we didn't read, in verse 15, we have other people not shouting loud hosannas, but it says that the chief priests and the scribes were indignant and furious. So Jesus does provoke the crowds and stir them up all for the purpose of announcing that he is the king of kings and lord of lords and now is the day the day that has finally come where you must make a decision I am either the lord of all and you must crown me or you must act as if I don't exist but you can no longer just tolerate me as a good man or as a good teacher he is the one who has come to be crowned or to be crucified. But Jesus says, I won't be anything unless I am the king. He is planning his party and planning his parade. He is in complete control of the situation. He even goes as far as saying, when they ask you what you need of the donkey and of the colt, you tell them this, the Lord needs them. And that is all they will need to hear. You see, Jesus right now in this passage is in complete control. He is the one who has come. And he says, if anybody stops you and anybody asks you, you tell them this, the Lord has need of them. Jesus is finally, this is the day the disciples had been longing for, when Jesus would come and announce to the world that I have come to reclaim and regain which rightfully belongs to me. He is the king that is presented to us on this Palm Sunday as the Lord of all. And just as Jesus provoked the crowds and orchestrated his own arrival and planned his own parade and provoked the crowds 2,000 years ago, he is the king that provokes you this morning and provokes you in such a way in which you must make a decision. You will either crown me or you will crucify me. You will either crown me as the Lord of all or you will turn away as if I am nothing at all. But you can no longer just tolerate me. You see, there is no such thing as neutrality when it comes to Jesus. There is no such thing as just saying, yeah, I believe in that guy, Jesus, but it doesn't change my life. Yeah, I, I accept him. I, I believe that he actually came and did some good things. No, Jesus says, no, this day, just as 2,000 years ago, just as I provoked the crowds, I now provoke you this morning. You will either crown me or you will crucify me. Accept him or reject him. He either becomes the Lord of all or he becomes nothing at all. He has come this morning to be the Lord of all in complete control. But the second thing that we see here in this passage on this Palm Sunday is that this king has not only come to be the ruler over all, but he also comes in peace and humility You see, this is the great irony of Jesus Christ. On the one hand, he comes to be the king of kings and lord of all. And the one who has come to to announce to the world that this is the day in which you will crown me as your king, orchestrating everything behind the scenes. But on the other hand, he also comes as the one who arrives in humility and humbleness and gentleness and peace. You see, what does Jesus choose to ride into Jerusalem on? A donkey. Of all the animals Jesus could have chose, he chose an animal which represented humility and gentleness. 
You see, it would have been easy for Jesus to ride in on a war horse. It would have been easy for Jesus to, to, to arrange for chariots and horses to, to come stampeding into Jerusalem that day, but, but he chose a lowly donkey. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, I'm sure the disciples had to be absolutely besides themselves that day. The disciples must have been driven nuts by this. Finally, Jesus, you come and you're coming to announce that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and you choose a donkey. I'm sure the disciples were thinking, we're going to have to find somebody to spin this story. This is the worst PR possible. You're the one who has come to destroy the enemies, announce that you are the one who has come to be crowned and you choose a donkey. But that's the whole point. You see, this Jesus comes, and he doesn't come to be the king who condemns the world, but he comes to be the king who is here to save the world. He doesn't come to announce that he will destroy the enemy through power, but he will destroy the very enemy of sin through gentleness and humility. This is why Jesus came And you see, this is the miracle of the gospel and what sets this king apart from all other kings. You see, all kings say this, I demand your loyalty and your service or you will die. But Jesus, the king, comes into the world and he says, no, I have not come to be served, but I come to serve. And actually, the only way you will live is if I die. And here is the greatest miracle of all. Jesus comes actually not to die for people who are loyal to him, but Jesus the king comes to die for people who actually rebel against him. It's the miracle of miracles that this King Jesus, riding in in humility and peace, as the humble king comes and says, you don't serve me but I have come to serve you and I have come for a rebellious people so that I might lay down my life for them so that they might live forever. You see, the story of Palm Sunday is Jesus comes to be crowned as king, but he comes in humility and gentleness and peace and announces to the world that I am not the king who comes to take the throne of Herod, but I am the king who comes to take the place of the lamb on the altar. He is the king who lays down his life for his rebels. He is the king who comes to lay down his life for people like you and me that would rebel against him. He comes not to be served, but to serve in peace and in humility. He is the humble servant. He is the king, unlike any other king. We see here in Matthew 21 that he first comes to be Lord of all. Make no mistake about that. You either crown him or crucify him. Secondly, he is the king who comes unlike any other king in peace and humility. But lastly, he is the king who comes to bear our burdens. In verse 5, Matthew records the prophecy of Zechariah in the Old Testament. And in Zechariah chapter 9, Matthew records this prophecy that tells us that one day a king would come, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, 
the foal of a beast of burden. You see, in the Old Testament, here in Zechariah chapter 9, recorded again in Matthew chapter 21, a donkey is referred to as a beast of burden. Why? Because a donkey was used as an animal in which they would put the materials of a, of a worker on its back. And so it was unfortunately received the unfortunate name of the beast of burden because it would carry the burdens of labor. It would carry the burdens of the people as it would take the burdens of, of labor to and from. And so on the donkey would ride and be mounted the burdens of the people. Well, isn't it ironic here that we see the beast of burden riding into Jerusalem, a donkey carrying another beast of burden? You see, in just a few days, this beast of burden would be carrying the ultimate beast of burden because on the cross, Jesus the Christ would take your burden and my burden, would take our burden of sin, and he would become the ultimate beast of burden on the cross. You see, the miracle of the gospel is this, the one who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. It is on the cross that the beast of burden, Jesus the Christ, takes away our sin and takes away our burden once and for all. He receives our burden and we receive his grace. What a king. We live, he dies. There is no king like King Jesus. But I want to ask you this question this morning. If this is all true and there is no king like King Jesus, he has come to be crowned as Lord of all, he has come not in strength but in humility and he has come to bear our burdens. I want to ask you this morning, what is your response? As I said in the beginning, this king demands a response because this king has not come simply to change the world, but this king has come to change you and to change me. If this isn't new, if this is new for you this morning, and you're not confident in your hope of Jesus as your king, that I want to invite you this day, just as Jesus invited the crowds 2,000 years ago to, to make that decision, I want to make, invite you to make the decision this morning, right in your homes, or wherever you might find yourself listening to this message. I want to invite you, would you surrender to this king? You'll never find a king like this. A king who does not demand for you to serve him, but a king who came so that you might be served. A king who says that the only way you can live is if I die. Would you invite this king and would you surrender your life to him today? This king leaves you with only two choices this morning. You can crown him or you can crucify him. I would invite you to surrender your life to him right now. But if you are a Christian and do believe in Jesus Christ as your king, I want to ask you a question. How has this king radically changed your life? 
You see, if he is the king that has been crowned Lord of all in your life, I want to ask you, how has it literally transformed everything in your life? You see, if Jesus is the king and we belong to him, then that means that you and I are the king's people. And it means wherever the king's people go in this world, the world will never be the same. As we have been speaking about the last few weeks, there is no greater message of hope that this world needs than the message of hope that comes from the people of God. And so the people of God are the king's people, and the king's people have a message of hope this morning for a world that is in desperate need of hope. And so I want to ask you this morning once again, if you belong to the king and you are the king's people, what is the message that you are declaring to the world, to a watching world that is in desperate need of hope today and tomorrow? How has this king radically transformed you? It was December of 1937 and the Japanese invaded mainland China and as they pressed into mainland China, they eventually made their way to the industrial city of Nanking. Nanking was a city of about 600,000 people. And the Japanese unleashed absolute torment upon the people in Nanking. They plundered and pillaged that city. I think in about one day, 15,000 Chinese soldiers were killed. But the only thing that stood in between the Japanese soldiers and the people of Nanking was a small group of Western missionaries who refused to flee. You see, as everyone else fled Nanking, these missionaries chose to stay. And this is what they did. They created an imaginary zone of safety. They just made it up. They drew a line and they invented this zone of safety and they said to the Japanese soldiers, in this zone of safety, you may not commit acts of war. There is no firing, there is no war, there is no more torment that will be unleashed in this zone of safety. And so every time the Japanese would try to enter the imaginary zone of safety, the, the missionaries would chase them out and say, get out, get out, get out. And this lasted for months until finally the Japanese soldiers had enough. And these Western missionaries chased them out. It's estimated that about 250,000 Chinese were saved because of the bravery and the courage of these missionaries. You say, what leads people to do this? What in the world would motivate these people to stay? simple. It's what the king's people do. He laid down his life so that you and I can gladly lay down our lives for others. In this moment we find ourselves in, today, I want to ask the question, where are the king's people are the king's people running and hiding and running in fear, hiding because they're scared? Or are the king's people living and talking in such a way that we are giving real hope to a hopeless world? I want to ask you this morning, where are the king's people? If there was ever a moment for the king's people to stand up, 
with courage and faith. It's now. It's time for the king's people to be evident in a world that is looking for hope. Because the Lord has said of your life, I have need of it. Listen, we are a searching people. We are a people that search under every rock and behind every tree for that one thing, that one thing that will make our life worth living. And some of you have been searching your entire life. But let me be very clear this morning. When you discover that this king has come and searched for you, and this king has come into the world to find you, your life will never be the same. Would you surrender today to the king, the king of kings and lord of lords? Make no mistake this morning that there is no king like King Jesus.